All right, I got a question for you. Because it's one thing you go, ooh, why? Why do you believe? Now, 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 seriously, there are, wow, these lights are bright. I have traumatic brain injury, so I'm just going to wear these today, I think. Does that bother anybody? That doesn't help. Why do you believe? Now, I don't mean to be unkind. I want you to think about this because it's very important. There are Muslims across the Middle East that worship and they believe too. In fact, they could sing that exact same song, couldn't they? Same words, everything. Oh, she answered. I've never had someone actually answer. I like that. What, what is written on your heart? Okay. Well, see, all of these are good reasons. Now, here's the thing. In Scripture, we see Scripture calling us to use something that we often don't use in church. Our brains. Do you know God gave you a brain? And some people set their brains aside and just go, well, I don't need my brain. I believe. As if there is some contrast between the two. Now, if you believe today, you should have good reasons for believing. Do you know that fulfilled prophecy verifies the words of Scripture? Did you know that? Did you know that we can go to the Middle East and dig stuff up? And it verifies what this book said. Do you know that God himself can be verified using your brain? Now, I got, uh, I got some boots on today. Can I tell you something about these boots? They did not make themselves. Right? Someone had to make you come up and oh, those are really cool boots. I actually bought them in Las Vegas. I just realized that. And I say, you know what's amazing about these boots? This is hypothetical. I say, these boots made themselves. When I was 10 years old, my dad and I got some leather. We got some rubber. And we got like some metal, because there's some metal in here. And we put it in a box and we buried it. And on my 30th birthday, we dug the box up. And these were in the box. Now, if I told that to you, some of you say, you know what, Ben? The, the temperature's rising here in Vegas. You, you might need to go into a cold room for a little bit <laughs> and chillax. Because that doesn't make any sense. What if I said to you, well, you just have to believe? You know, some Christians do that. See, here's my thing is I love when we sing, I believe, but I think we need to use our brains that God has created us with to verify the faith that we have. You say, Ben, where does faith come in? See, did you hear about all the stuff that she sang about at the beginning? You ever had difficult things happen in your life? 
Just hold your hand up if you've ever had something difficult before, ever something painful. All right, thank you. If your hand did not go up, just keep living. <laughs> just, just keep living. I've had some difficult things in my life. And I can tell you this, when difficulties come, what you know to be true all of a sudden starts gets, gets to be questioned, doesn't it? And that's when you have to say, I believe. Not that, oh, it's in contrast to what I know, but there are moments when the Bible calls us to do things that in this moment may not seem right. I'm reminded, I, uh, now I know we're in Henderson today, so if I say Las Vegas, please forgive me. I'm from Florida, and so pretty much the way people view the state of Nevada is it's just Las Vegas, the whole state. So I'm sorry, I know we're in Henderson, Don't, but I was speaking in Las Vegas, a different city, far from here. <laughs> and I took an Uber to the church this morning, to that, that morning, not this morning, I drove myself this morning. And I remember the cab driver said he had a dilemma, or the Uber driver. He had a dilemma. See, he was married to one woman and he didn't like her, but he had a daughter with her. And his girlfriend that he had been with like years before for like 20 years, he was wanting to get back with her. And he said his heart was torn because he wanted to be with his daughter's mother to raise her, but he also had affections for this woman. And do you know what I was saying to myself? I'm like, that's what you get when you follow your heart. You know, our world says to follow their heart. Here's where faith comes in. Faith says, I know that God is real. Faith says, I know that the Bible is true. And then faith says, because of that, I'm going to do what is right rather than in this moment what's in my heart. Do you see the difference? And so when you say, I believe, what you're saying is, I'm committing to have a good marriage. It's a whole lot easier to just say, I believe. Because it's hard to have a good marriage. Isn't it? It's hard. You say, well, you just follow your heart. and make that, that don't work, does it? There's some days you wake up, my wife lives with me. She don't want to love me. But I'm so lovable. <laughs> See, now, now there's some younger people in here, not a lot. But you know that the Bible says, we, we put them out there. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that children are supposed to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. You ever been a teenager? You ever met a teenager? Now, the Bible does not say when the devil rebelled, but I suspect it was age 15. Right? See, when you're a teenager, and the Bible says you have to obey your parents, there are times where that doesn't seem... Right? It, it doesn't seem like that. I, I feel smarter than my parents. I wish I could go back to 15 because I'd like to know everything again. See, there's moments, now, now here's what I'm saying, we could apply it to marriage, 
We can apply it to being a teenager. But let's pause here. Let's apply it to you. Because I am thrilled with a church that is willing to testify and say, I believe. But it's one thing to say it on a Sunday morning. Hang on. It's another thing to walk out and to go and live, I believe. To go and live the precepts of Scripture. Do you believe? Or do you just say you believe on Sunday morning? Ooh, that guy's preaching now. He went to meddling. Let's send him back to Florida. <laughs> I like this guy. He's been messing with me all morning. I'll tell you what. Now, all of that was for free. Had nothing to do with my message this morning. And uh, so you're like, well, we could just have an invitation right there and do it. Because this is, we need some practical things, too. And I need those things. And so I think we need to be reminded when we say, when we believe, what does that mean? So I don't know how much of the other message that I brought I'll get through today. But we'll just we'll give it a stab. And uh, we'll see what we can get done. I'm, I'm not going to take your whole afternoon. I know you have other things to do. Uh, I believe in eating, too. How many of you believe in eating? Amen, right? And... Uh, you know, I, will, I see, that's where you really would have liked to have seen Jesus preach because he also fed people when they come. It was like a whole deal. And he didn't just feed people. He's like doing miracles along the way. Like, give me some fish. Yeah, we got fish for everybody. Five, two, five barley loaves, two fish. That would have been fun. But I don't have that capacity. He does, but I don't. And uh, so let's just get in the Word today. Take your Bibles and turn to, well, what should we preach on today? Turn to, I, I've got, I, I know what I'm, where I'm going. First Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to look today. Now I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you came to church today. When we say came to church, it's an interesting thing. Because really, church is not this building. Did you hear what I just said? Church, church is not this building. Sometimes we say, oh, oh it's the sacred, you know. This is not God. This is not the church. Who's the church? Yeah. So we're the church. So when you came to church today, you came as the church. We're a body of Christ. That's why you've got to be nice to other people. You know, I'm amazed some churches, they will treat the auditorium nice because they think it's a sacred space and be so mean to their neighbors. We are the church. This is what you get. So I shouldn't say this either, but I'll just tell you, I have shingles this morning. I can feel it all. I'm 99.9% sure. I had them a little while ago. have all the same symptoms. And so that's why I'm like, like just rambling on and on before I get to the message. I don't know. It's probably affecting my brain. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, Peter is writing to the persecuted church. You know, we're starting to see the beginnings of that in our culture today already. We're seeing the beginnings of the church being persecuted. Now, before you think you're persecuted, someone writing a nasty comment to something you say on Facebook is not persecution. Calm down. It's okay. Just delete their comment. If it's driving you, so, 
So, but here's what's happening, though. There are some businesses that are getting sued. There's some businesses that are being shut down. And that was happening in Peter's day to Christians as people would not patronize their business because they believed that Jesus was the risen again Messiah. And so Peter has a word for Christians in the middle of difficulties and trials. And I believe as our culture begins to go this way, and the church isn't moving, but hopefully the church stays fast, that there's going to be a wider divide between the church and culture. And there's going to be a greater level of persecution. And what do we do in the middle of that? Well, the Bible has answers for so many things. And Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us some answers. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what he says. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Are you ready for this? I want you to look at it if you have the Bible. Look at it this morning. You can pull it up on your phone. I'll give you a second. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Here's what it says. Go, thou shalt go on the street corner and stand and scream at all the people you disagree with. Is that what it says? I'm sorry, i got a different translation here. Brother, that ain't the Bible. All right, let's look at what it says. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Thou shalt take thy Bible over to thy neighbor's house and smack them in the face. Now, I'm going to stop here because this is, this is the Word of God. Now, when you disagree with someone, when someone persecutes you or when someone challenges you, what is your natural reaction? It ain't this. Or at least for me, it's not, if it's me, it's not this. Look at what it says. In the middle of persecution, humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. See, that's a lot of times we want to fight back because we want to exalt ourselves. That He may exalt us in due time. Look at this in verse 7. Now we go on, see the, the command changes. This is where it gets good. Thou shalt lock thyself in thine basement and, and turn on only Fox News. <laughs> you laugh. That's what some Christians do. My, my pastor says this. He says, you know when Hannity comes on the second time? He goes, it's the same one as the first time. You can just get your Bible out and read. Now, if you don't like, like Fox News, that's okay. I'm not a big fan myself, but, but that's another thing. Here's what he says. So humble yourself, number one. Number two, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about looking for someone to pet him. Is that what it says? Your adversary is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. What is that? I believe. I believe that's what it, who resists steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, you're not alone when you go through challenges. That's what the devil wants you to think. You have some difficulties today? You have some, sometimes the devil wants you to think you're the only one dealing with that. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But look at this, but the God of all grace. 
who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, ye have suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, what's the whole point of all of this? What's the point of the trials that God could make us more like him and bring him glory in the process? Now, this Sunday, tonight, and this morning, I want to talk about two principles that we as church people have thoroughly neglected. Two of them. This morning, I'm going to talk about one. Tonight, I'm going to talk about another. Now, you say, I'm not going to know what you're going to talk about tonight because I don't come on Sunday nights. Now, here's how you can know. You can come. Do you know it is not written anywhere that you are not allowed to come on Sunday nights? Do you let people come back? Like if they come in the morning, they can come back at night? You let them come back most of the time. Now, here's the thing. This is one of those mosts. So you can come back tonight. It's allowed. And I promise if you come back tonight, I won't like flitter with a bunch of other stuff. We'll get right to the point. And I'm going to teach you a principle in Scripture that is often neglected. You say, what is it? Well, if you come back tonight, no, I'll tell you now what it is. First Peter 3.15, it says, Always be ready to give an answer to them that ask you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so here's the challenge is that God wants us to be ready to answer those that disagree with us effectively. And tonight, I am going to give you a, a system, as it were, as to how to do that. You ever been challenged on your faith? Now, I can't follow you around, and God hasn't called Pastor Aaron to follow you around, so every time you, you know, you, someone challenges you on your faith, you say, oh, let me get Pastor Aaron on the phone here, talk with him. God wants you to be equipped to do that, and tonight, I'm going to equip you with a system as to how to think through things so you as a Christian, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, can give an answer. I think it's going to be incredibly helpful, but today, I want to look at another neglected passage. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8, now this is a command, it's not a suggestion. Verse 8, here's what he said. Be sober, be vigilant, or be aware. And I believe this passage is specifically talking about understanding the tactics of the devil. When was the last time you thought through the tactics of the devil? We don't do that in church often, do we? We don't talk about the devil that often. And today, I want to equip you to be aware. Because the devil has some underlying tactics that are kind of the same in every culture, but then they manifest themselves in different ways in different cultures. And that is why I love how sometimes the Bible gets very specific, but sometimes the Bible is very, very general. And in this case, it is a very general statement as to the way the devil operates. And so today, we're going to look at specifically in the 21st century how the devil is operating. Do you think that'd be helpful to you? Yeah. Well, let's take some time this morning. We won't take long, but let's look at some of these things. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we ask for God's help this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will work during this time. 
Lord, I pray that you will enlighten believers here. I pray that you'll be with grandparents today, that you'll be with parents today, that you'll be with uh, students, college age and, and high school students, that you'll be with young adults today, that you'll be with husbands, that you'll be with wives, uh, that, that you will empower your wisdom uh, from your word and uh, from some of the things that we'll look at so that we can be wise uh, and harmless in the culture and speak your truth in love. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, several years ago, I was asked by uh, Dr. Ben Carson and his campaign uh, to work as the faith outreach advisor for his campaign for presidency. And if you don't know who Dr. Ben Carson is, he's done 12 thousand brain surgeries. He has over 70 honorary doctorates from around the world. He's a very intelligent guy. And so I, I really liked him and I decided to work with him. Now, a lot of people think if you know how that campaign went back in 2016, that he was kind of like a footnote in the campaign, but he was the only Republican presidential candidate to pass uh, Donald Trump in the polls. And when that happened, our uh, campaign got a full secret service detail. And so here we are, the full Secret Service detail, having to deal with all of this stuff. And uh, I was always one of those pastors that I did not want to want to complain about the Secret Service because I'd seen colleagues and friends do that, working with Secret Service. But they were just complaining, I always thought, to brag about the fact that they were working with Secret Service. And um, so, so uh, I, I made a, a point of like, well, I'm not going to break, you know, but then I realized very quickly working with Secret Service that there was a built-in contentious relationship because it was our job to get the candidate in front of people and it was their job to, you know, keep them away from everybody. And so it, it, there was tension built in. I remember the first night I was working on the campaign, I thought there'd be about five, six agents. There was like between 30 and 40 agents working this whole event. And there was plainclothes people and all. And then he had his like regular detail on him. And the lead agent comes to me and he said, we were doing a, a pastor's uh, meeting ahead of time. And the lead agent comes to me and he goes, you're going to be checking all of the guys in. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm highly disorganized. And the last thing you want me doing is checking people in. And I'm like, I'm working for the campaign, not the service. You awake? There are like eight people that just woke up. Am I doing something wrong? Does that help? <laughs> so um, the, the lead agent says, you have to check them in because if we put people in and they release stuff to the press you don't want, you can blame us. And I said, well, that makes sense. So there was all of these, these uh, pastors had to be cleared so they had to go through a, 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 it was very rigorous screening. And so we had 10 guys on the list, and he goes, these 10 guys are clear, so you check them out and, and put them through. Well, there's an extra guy that showed up, and he drove a long ways in the snow and the cold, and uh, I figured it would be okay <laughs> to just kind of let him in as well. So, so these, these, all the guys come in, and I let him go in, and they're sitting in the room waiting for Dr. Carson to come in. And I'm standing outside checking emails, and the lead agent comes to me, and I can tell he is unhappy. He comes up to me and he's like, Ben, 10 bodies in the room 
or uh, 10 bodies on the list, 11 bodies in the room, what happened? This is how the Secret Service sees the American public, their bodies, not people. And uh, I said, uh, I said, well, um, I'm really busy right now. Could we talk a little later? <laughs> he said, no, we're going to talk right now. And he was carrying the gun, so we talked then. <laughs> I said, well, I, I was just, you know, it's my first time. And, I, you know, I'm trying to give us a... He, he wasn't having any of it. He just stopped me in the middle, then said a bunch of things I'm not going to repeat in church. <laughs> then I remember a couple things he said. One, he said, if... Something happens to Dr. Carson, it's going to be your name that goes in the headlines in the paper tomorrow, not mine. I thought, well, my mom always wanted to see my name in a paper. <laughs> then he said this, if you really care about your candidate, you will care who's in the room with him. Amen. Now, I tucked that in the back of my head, and I didn't say this at, at the time, but I thought, that'll preach, man. If you really care about your grandchildren, you'll care about the ideas that they encounter, won't you? If you really care about your children, you'll care about the ideas that they encounter, who's in the room or what ideas are in the room with them. If you care about yourself, you care about your associations. But then there's something else I want you to see. He said this, or, or not from what he said, but, but just kind of from what I was thinking. That my definition of safety and his definition of safety were different, weren't they? Now answer this, yes or no. Did I care for Dr. Carson's safety, yes or no? Yeah, sure. Did he care for Dr. Carson's safety? Yeah, he did. He wanted him to be safe. That's why I didn't want the extra guy in the room. I thought, no big deal. Now, when it comes to safety, whose definition should we go with? God's definition. That was good. And that's why I told him, I said, we should pray right now about this. Let's see. <laughs> I meant in his, you were jumping ahead. You're, you're very good with metaphors. You've been in church a while. I like that. But... Between me and him, whose definition of safety should we go with? He's the secret service. He's, he's an expert. Now, we often do this, and this, you, you saw where I was going with this. I like that. Somebody's using their brain in church today. <laughs> now, when it comes to truth, whose definition do we go with? See, this is what's important, and what I want you to see is right now, the, in our culture, the people that control the definitions control the conversation. And so we as Christians have to redeem the definitions of very words. And we need to see what's happening in our culture. So very quickly, let's go through a few definitions that are changing. I think we'll have them up here on the screen. I don't have my clicker today, so we are going to have to work. And uh, we're not even going to deal with, with what all that means. You don't have to worry about that. Let's skip to the next one. So here's some definitions that are changing in our culture. That should not be the next one. Okay. So here's some things that, that Generation Z and our culture is really struggling with. Right now, our culture does not know who they are. Our culture is struggling with the definition of identity. Skip to the next slide for me. Here's identity. 
Um, identity is now being defined. Identity is now determined, not defined. Identity is a socially contextualized possibility rather than a biological and scientific reality. In 2014, the Lincoln County, Nebraska School District sent a pamphlet to every one of their teachers instructing them not to call their students boys and girls. Elementary students. Why? They said because that delineation would confuse them. The very identity of humanness is being attacked in our culture right now. Now let me go on. Because identity is being attacked, we'll go to the next one. The new definition is they don't know how to love. See, love is a word that we use in our culture now to just mean acceptance. If I love you, I will accept whatever you do. That's what our culture says, but that's a bad definition of love because I've got a friend that was addicted to, to drugs. I remember calling him and I said, I think you have a problem with cocaine. That's what he said. I use cocaine responsibly. If you have a question about whether or not you have an issue with cocaine, if your idea is that you use it responsibly, you have a problem. See, we have this definition of acceptance. Now, what did I did? I, I told him, I said, man, you've got to stop doing what you're doing. Why? Because I hated him? No, because I love him very deeply. See, love, when someone is in a bad place, doesn't go, oh, just however you are, just be who you are. That's not what love does. Love says, God has something better for you. And see, we've now defined love. Here's our new definition of love. Love has now become a sexual expression rather than a value assessment. And so love is something I make, not something I choose to give. And so I've had, I've talked now, now look at how these build on each other. So if identity is now de defined any way you want, then love is expressed any way you want. I've had high school boys come up to me and tell me their public school teacher told them to have a relationship with a boy and a girl so they could discover who they are. See, the evil one is attacking our definitions of identity and our definitions of love. Now, here's the problem, and this is, this is probably the number one challenge in our culture right now. I just read an article today or yesterday about somebody who says this is it, the number one challenge of our culture. But here's what's happening. As a generation grows up and as our culture says, identity is something that is determined, not defined. You just decide whatever your bio biological reality is, then what it creates is a massive confusion in culture. Now, I don't mean to be unkind with this, but it is very simple to decide what a human is. Now, there are some, some, some um, genetic mutations. They are very, very rare where there is some issue there, and I'm not speaking to that today. But what I'm saying is for the mass of culture, there is no difficulty in deciding whether or not you are male or female. It is a simple genetic reality. Now, now that's science. That's not even Bible. I mean, it is Bible, but, but even if you want to set the Bible to the side, that's just science. Now, we know that the Bible runs parallel with science because the author of the Bible is the one who created the world. But when you cannot even know your identity by simply your biology... How do you know that anything is true? 
So the next thing our culture def- struggles with is the definition of truth. They don't know how to find the truth. Now look at this. Here's the new definition of truth in our culture. Truth, number one, must be verified by multiple sources. So when, when you were growing up, you went and had a nice meal, and you told your friends about the good meal that you had. Now they don't do that. What do they do? You go out and have a nice meal. If you're in Gen Z, what do you do? You've got to take a picture of it, right? It did it really happen if you don't have a picture of it, right? So we now live in a culture where everything must be verified by multiple sources. It is restricted to what is scientifically observable, and then it cannot conflict with popular opinion. Now, I like how God works, don't you? So a few years ago, there was a, a gentleman that decided to change his body with plastic surgery. So he had these non-physical things added to his body, and then he decided to call himself a woman. He even was awarded by ESPN. He got one of the ESPY awards for doing this. His name is Bruce Jenner. He goes by the name Caitlyn Jenner now. At the same time, there was another woman. Her name was Rachel Dolezal. They hit the news at the same time. Same, same cycles. Rachel Dolezal was a Caucasian woman that for over 20 years had been pretending to be an African-American. And it was amazing to watch as this news cycle came out and say, how dare Rachel Dolezal pretend to be someone she is not? While we're giving Bruce Jenner an award for pretending to be Caitlyn Jenner. See, God makes things very, very clear, but we don't even know what is real, and we can't even find truth. And what's interesting is, well, science determines what is true, not if it conflicts with popular culture. So ultimately, we have a completely new definition of truth. And because we have a new definition of truth, we'll go to the next slide. Our next challenge is, as a culture, um, uh, we don't know how to make moral judgments. So if I don't know what is right and wrong, how do I decide? Now, I want you very briefly to watch this very simple video about some young people on the streets of New York City who are asked one of the most simple questions, how do you define right and wrong? Now, you have to know that to operate as a human, right? You have to know what is right and what is wrong, but you have to know where that comes from. So how do you define that? Let's watch, not the first video, we don't have time for this one, let's go to the next one. Really tough questions. How do you define right and wrong? I think it's I think it's something that needs to be asked more. It's just relative. It's all subjective, and it's the same thing like being human. There's no such thing as a, an evil person nor a good person. We all have gray matter, and that's what lo- makes life interesting. How do you define right and wrong? Um, I don't know. That's actually a really tough question. Really hard. I'm stumped. I really am. <laughs> I'm stumped for real. It's kind of hard. Uh, what's right? Uh, I guess one aspect of what's right is, I guess what, I guess societal norms deem as appropriate behavior. Um, yeah, that's just so hard. <laughs> it is a really tough question, because I guess people define right and wrong differently. So I guess it just depends on who you are as a person, but I guess like how you were brought up, yeah. like 
Like one thing's right for someone may not be right for someone else. Like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's so hard. That's all I got. Now, don't, don't skip ahead. Just, just I want you to see this. I know her picture's not really clear. But isn't she a nice young lady? Which is kind of funny. She's nice. But here's a young woman that doesn't even know what right and wrong is or how to decide it for her life. Now, I want you to see how the devil operates. The devil's not the father of murder. You shouldn't kill people. But he's not the father of murder. He's not the father of theft, though you shouldn't steal. What is he the father of? He is the father of lies. And from the beginning, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, the devil wanted to deceive Adam and Eve about what was true. Has God said? And now that's exactly how he's working in our culture. He's deceiving us about our human identity. He's deceiving us about love, and he ultimately is deceiving us about what is true. So now we have a generation that doesn't even know how to define right and wrong. Well, if you don't know how to define right and wrong, we'll skip to the next. I think there may be some other videos, but let's go to the next uh, text slide. If we don't know how to define right and wrong, we don't know how to make moral judgments. How can I, how can I, so we'll skip to the next slide here. I'm trying to go through these quickly. Moral discernment is now the closed-minded practice of assessing the behaviors of others. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't judge me before? That's proliferated in our culture. Tonight, when you come back, did you notice how I said when you come back? Uh, tonight, when you come back, I'm going to give you a rubric that gives you an answer to that very question. We're going to deal with that phrase, don't judge me. But now, for anyone to make any moral ass assessment at all is somehow evil. It's somehow wrong. Let's go to the next slide here. Um, they don't know how to disagree. So when I don't know what truth is, I can't even encounter anyone that disagrees with me because I've been taught that we all have to just get along and you have to change your opinion. Tolerance now, the new definition of tolerance. Tolerance is a left of center political position rather than a way of dealing with those who disagree with you. So we don't have a tolerant culture. What we have is a culture that says you have to believe A, B, and C, and if you don't, you're automatically a bigot no matter how nice you are. I want you to take a look at this young lady. Really, once again, I really enjoyed talking with her, a really nice young lady. But here's a young lady that has been told that she is a tolerant person. And I just want you to see how she behaves given the questions that I ask her. I ask her on a scale of 1 to 10 how, how tolerant you think culture is, or on a scale of 1 to 5 how tolerant you think culture is, how tolerant you think you are, and then I ask her two questions. Take a listen to them. On a scale of 1 to 5, how tolerant do you think people are? Two. So, same question, yourself on that same scale. How tolerant do you think I am? Yeah. I would say a four, but, oh, never mind. I was going to say like a 4.5. Good so for you. Very tolerant. Yeah. I'm tolerant. like Good real. Um, what yeah, would you say to someone who thinks marriage should be restricted to opposite sex? Like um, somebody who says, hey, you can, you can only marry a certain person. What would I say to them? Yeah. Why does it matter? Like, that's not affecting your life, you know? Like, I don't get why people harp on, like, this person should only marry this person. Like, why does that affect you so much? Like, are you marrying them? Get it together. What would you say if, like, a dad wanted to marry his son? Um, incest is disgusting. Is that okay? Oh. Is that, oh, I'm sorry, but yeah, that's like, that's close to bestiality. I'm real sorry. Wait. That's, like, not okay. Okay, now, now hopefully you agree with her on that last part. But it illustrates something very important, doesn't it? 
that we do need to disagree about some things. And that it's okay to not be tolerant. But wasn't it interesting, her perspective of a marriage, how intolerant she was with anyone that disagreed with her? Now, I'm not trying to be unkind to her. I'm just saying that this is a young woman who's a victim of the lies of the devil, and many of us are. We're, we're not exempt to this, but here's, here's a wonderful young woman that has been told that tolerance is this rather than a way of dealing with other people. Let's, let's skip to the last one here. I, I think it's the last one. Um, and lastly, they don't know how to handle failure. I don't, oh, I don't really have time to get over this. But notice, we all have to have our safe spaces. Because we don't know how to disagree, we can't handle failure. And because of that, I, I don't have the time to get into this, but I will just make you aware of this next slide. I believe, and we have seen a massive rise since 2011 in suicide. The new definition of suicide, suicide is viewed as a solution to a worthless life in our culture. And now that what we're seeing in, in parts of Europe, it, suicide being readily, easily, and attainable, because if your life isn't worthless, why, or if your life, if you don't think it has value, why not end it? It is heartbreaking. And then I do believe this is our, our last concept here, is that they don't know how to live by an external creed. Because ultimately, if we're all just having our opinions, then who's right and who's wrong? See, this is where we live in a culture where we said some people are right and some people are wrong, and we appeal to an ultimate external creed. And I have a video on here. I won't take time to show it to you, but there's a young man who just says, well, that just seems ridiculous to me that you would use a book that was written thousands of years ago. Well, here's the thing. The Bible was written thousands of years ago, but it was written by a God who knew everything and knows everything. He knew what would happen in, in 20... What, what, it, what is 2019? I don't even know. He knew what would happen in 2019, and his book is sufficient for 2019. Now, it's one thing in church to say it's sufficient, but do you live and, and read the Bible? Now, all of these things are, are things that are happening in our culture, so then the ultimate question is, well, what do we do? Now, if I wouldn't spend so much time on all my other messages today, I'd have time to go through these to you, but let me list a few off. Number one, we've got to trust God. Now, I've already talked about this. Who's in control, church? God's in control. Number one, we've got to trust God, but number two, we need to pray for revival. Look at what it says in here. First of all, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then it says, casting all your care upon him. Let me ask you, when you look at our culture, are you disturbed by it? What do you do with that? See, we should have cares. If you look at our culture and be like, no, I don't care about our culture, that means you don't love our culture, right? Right? So we should care about it, but what do we do with those cares? We say, God, would you work? Now, who do you think is going to be better at fixing our culture, God or you? Do you know sometimes I think I'm better? Well, let's just make another video. Let's do this. Let... You know who's in control? God is, and we've got to trust God. We've got to pray for revival. When's the last time you were so overcome for your children or your grandchildren that you prayed over them at night, that you go into the room when they're not there and just pray that God would do something in their life, would use them for their glory, for His, for his glory? See, we've got to pray. We've got to pray for revival. Number three, number one, trust God. Number two, pray for revival. Number three, teach the truth. Now, I've got a bunch of other things. I'm going to stop on this one because I know you're like, when's this guy going to be done? I do believe in eating. I told you that. But I'll, I'll finish on this point. I've got several others, but I want to finish with this. We've got to teach the truth. Do you know how important teaching the truth is? 
Now, here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. It says that the church was being tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine. I don't know. I'm from Florida. We go on boats. Have you ever been tossed around by the wind? It is not fun. Isn't that our culture right now? Someone has a truth claim. Well, let's run over here. Someone else has a truth claim. And we're being tossed back and forth. And do you know what the solution that the Bible gives the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He says, but speaking the truth in love. This is the solution. That we have got to teach the truth. Now, understand that truth and love are not in conflict. He didn't say, speak the truth and love. You say, why? Because speaking the truth itself is a loving thing. In our culture, we've done this. We've said, all right, well, you can give some truth, but you have to balance it with love. Nowhere will you find that truth and love are balanced in the Bible. That this idea that, well, you give some truth, and then you stop giving truth, and then you give love. The very act of giving truth is a loving thing. I reference my friend uh, John, who, who is dealing with drugs. So... By loving him, I speak the truth. They're not separate. When I'm speaking, I am loving. So it's how, so speaking the truth in love. So we got to speak. Well, to speak is very important because you have to know the truth to speak the truth. Now, I believe there are some very important things that every Bible believer needs to know. Like, you need to have a good, good answer for how you know God exists. A lot of us don't. We say, well, I just believe it in my heart. That's not a good answer. That's circular reasoning. Now, it may be true for you, and that may be a good testimony, but we need a good answer, like the story I gave about my booth. Then we need a good answer for how we know the Bible is reliable. We say, well, God wrote the Bible. Once again, a circular answer. There's other things that we can use. I don't have time to get into it, but we need a good answer for that. We need a good answer for what we call the problem of evil. Our culture is asking this question constantly. Why do bad things happen to good people? We need a good answer to that. We need a good answer to abortion. There's a movie that came out recently. I highly recommend that you at least go and encounter. It's called Unplanned. It gives an answer for life. See, we need an answer to these things. We need an answer. Do you know that, that there are actual evidences for the resurrection? See, we need an answer for these. We're going to come and celebrate the resurrection. Now, I'm going to give you something on this. I told you this is my last point. This is a point within a point, so pretend like we're watching Inception right now. Here's a point within the point. Don't come alone on Easter. I'm telling you, find someone to come with you. It is way more fun to celebrate. You ever been to a party all by yourself? It's way more fun to celebrate with other people. I just talked with a friend who brought an unsaved person to church. He goes, you would not believe the way you look with church when you bring someone unsaved. I was like, I know. Because now all of a sudden you're looking through their eyes and you're like, man, I want them to hear. Did you hear that song? Did you hear that? Man, it's going to change your Easter if you bring it. Don't come alone on Easter. Bring someone. Bring someone with you for that celebration. I lost words. Oh, teaching the truth. When I was in high school, I worked at Dairy Queen. One hot summer night, we ran out of ice cream. I went to my uncle who owned the store. I said, we got to shut this thing down. We don't have any more ice cream. He said, we still have burgers and fries to sell. 
my nights spending, you know, like, you know, elementary age kids trying to tell them that burgers taste better than blizzards. <laughs> they do not. A Dairy Queen with no ice cream is an embarrassment. I've lived that embarrassment, I know. And do you know that a Christian that cannot contextualize or give answers for some of these issues in our culture is like a Dairy Queen that has no ice cream? See, we've got to be equipped. We've got to be ready and we've got to be prepared. We've got to teach the truth. I did get to meddling a little bit today, and I hope you'd say when you leave here, you go, well, I'm not prepared. I'm going to give you some things and some ideas and ways that you can be prepared. But today what I wanted to do is challenge you that, number one, we've got to be aware, and the solution is whom resists steadfast in what? In the faith. That the ultimate truth is found in faith in the, the eternal Son of God who died and rose again, and that by speaking His truth in love, we can stop our culture from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That we can equip our children and our grandchildren and ourselves and our families and our marriages and our businesses and our lives through the eternal truth of Scripture if we were willing to speak the truth in love. I got tons of more stories and stuff. We just don't have time for them today. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It's been a real privilege to be with you. I hope you'll take time to come back tonight. And as I mentioned, there'll be some things that I want to equip you with. But how many of you would say, Ben, today, I need to commit to praying because I just get worried I don't pray. And Ben, today, I need to start casting all my cares upon him. If that's you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up and say, Ben, you know, I need to commit, rather than just worrying, I need to commit to prayer. And I'm willing to do that. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Let me add this. Who'd say, Ben, this week, 